Welcome back to the Marshfield First Podcast. Each week, you can find our sermon audio right here. We hope this will encourage our church family and keep us all up to date on our different sermon series. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple or Spotify and share on social media with others. If you'll turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis chapter 39, we're going to continue our study of the life of Joseph. Um, Title of the series is Overcomer. And uh, really what we're talking about here is, is not winning, it's not coming out on top, but it's how do we overcome through um, hard seasons of life? And what overcoming means is we walk faithfully with him through those. And so I want to take us to the end of the book of Genesis or the end of Joseph's life again. And this is what Joseph says in the rearview mirror after he's gone through all of these seasons. And then we're going to come back and we're going to walk through um, what happens next in his life. But at the end of his life, Joseph, going through all of the hardships, all of the moments of despair, all of the moments of defeat, time and time again, and at the end of his life, he sees how God has worked all of these things and how he's put all of these things together. And he says in Genesis 50, verse 19, he says, but Joseph said to them, he's talking to his brothers, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about this present result, the survival of my people. And one of the things we have to know is is Joseph is not the main character in his own story. It's God, Yahweh. He is the main character in the story. I think we need to understand that too. We are not the main character in our story. It is God. And we can begin to see, when we can see his hand at work, and when we can join him where he's working, then we can understand the same thing that Joseph did. You planned evil against me. Satan, you were working evil against me. But God was working all of these things to bring them together for good. Last week, we left Joseph in a caravan going from Canaan to Egypt. He's, it was sold as a slave. If you remember last week, his brothers decided they wanted to kill him as Joseph came to check on him. He had his, um, was bringing them probably some food and some supplies, and he came walking up in his fancy coat of many colors. Um, and his brothers, the anger burned inside of them even more. So they determined in their heart they were going to kill their brother. And so they did. They beat him, and then they threw him in the bottom of a pit. Reuben, one of his brothers, was going to come back and rescue him. But while they were eating probably from the food that Joseph had brought them, um, they saw a caravan and they sold their own brother into slavery. And so here we have Joseph in a caravan to Egypt, probably still healing from the wounds of being beaten, still sore and broken from the physical abuse that he received. This began a 13-year season of defeat, despair, and deceit that Joseph was encountering. He was all alone. He had been turned on by his family. He had been beaten to death almost, except for God's providence, and a caravan heading to Egypt that saved his life. From all of the appearances, when you read that story, from all appearances, it looks like God had abandoned him, and man 
had completely wanted to put him away. And so here we find Joseph heading to Egypt. He comes down into this great country, this great powerful nation, one of the most powerful nations at his time. He makes his way into Egypt and the pyramids had already been built. It was in the 15th year or the 15th dynasty of the Hyksos rulers somewhere between 1720 and 1570 BC and all around they worshiped all of these idols all of these false gods all these foreign gods a sun god a moon god a river god all of these gods and so this is the environment in which jo- Joseph now wakes up as he comes to Egypt It was a dark, dark place. Joseph gets sold to a a wealthy aristocrat, a a ruler uh, in Pharaoh's um, uh, house. He gets sold to Potiphar. And we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt, An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of his guards, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of this Egyptian uh, master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master, and he became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put in charge of his household all um, and placed everything, all that he owned under his authority. From the time he was put in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned and in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority and he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house. He has put all that he has under my own authority. No one in this house is greater than I. He has withheld nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil and how could I sin against God? We're going to get into the rest of the story here, but we see how um, Joseph's now made it to Egypt. And um, when I read this story, and I was thinking about last week, uh, the pit uh, being beaten by his brothers, almost being put to death, now a slave making this long trip by caravan, feeling all alone. I read what happens to him in Potiphar's house. I I was thinking, you know, um, sometimes things can go from bad to worse. One of the things I thought is I, I, I think of a, a story in my life where something went from bad to worse and, you know, just kind of a funny story. But then I, I started thinking that when you've experienced that, when you've lived out where things have gone from bad to worse and worse than you can imagine, it's just not really funny, is it? Like, I mean, it's like, like when you've walked through it, like to even make light just kind of makes you roll your eyes and go, you just don't get it. So here we find in Joseph's life, things have gone from bad to worse. When we look at this story, Joseph takes on leadership in, uh, in that Potiphar's house. Everything he does is successful. He's gaining favor 
Um, the Lord blesses. The Lord is with him. And he gains more and more power and authority in Potiphar's house. The scripture said, um, no one was greater in his household except for Potiphar himself. And then Potiphar's wife came to him and she tempted him to sleep with her. Joseph resisted temptation. The story continues on as you get into um, verse 11 um, through the end of the, uh, up down to verse 20. From 11 to 20, it talks about how um, Joseph was resisting temptation, but it wasn't just a one-time temptation. Um, it wasn't just like one time and Joseph said no, and she said okay. It says day after day she came and she threw herself at him. She was tempting him day after day after day. And, and Joseph was resisting temptation, resisting tempt temptation. And then one day, Potiphar's wife came and really threw herself at him. And Joseph again resisted temptation. And he went to run, to flee. And she grabbed a hold of his, his coat or his, his outer garment and she held on to it, and, it, and it, it stayed with her as he ran away. Then she brought up some false accusations, and she screamed, help, help, help. She made up a story, and these false accusations that said, uh, Joseph now was trying to throw himself on her. And had she not screamed for help, she would have never made it. Potiphar gets word of it. He has Joseph thrown in prison for something he didn't do. Here's Joseph. Things went from bad to worse. Some things we know about Joseph. Joseph was a young man. He was probably about the age of these graduating seniors. Probably pretty close. Scripture says that he was a good-looking young man. Scripture says the Lord was with him, and the Lord blessed him. When you look at where Joseph was in life as he was now accused and thrown in prison, one, one uh, theologian I read this week, one guy said this. He said, some might say, with Joseph's past, he had every reason to be angry, bitter, resentful, cynical, fearful, self-serving, and self-pitying. Joseph had every human reason to find a fleeting solace and an illicit embrace. Joseph here, uh, life just didn't go his way. Like, it, it, like life has completely turned against him. And some, of, some people would look and say, well, you deserve this. Or it doesn't matter anyway. Yet Joseph never saw it that way. Scripture says that Joseph, at the end of verse 9, he said, how could I do this immense evil? And how could I sin against God? When we look at Joseph's life, I think we can see some things in Je some parallels from Jesus' life. The first, they were both sold and delivered by sinful men whom he spent a lot of time with. Jesus 
by Judas and Joseph by his brothers. They both suffered these agonies, these, these things that happened to them, then they didn't do anything to bring that on. And they both, at the end, forgave the people who created these things against them. You know, when we go through these seasons of life, and we all go through seasons, sometimes the seasons are on the mountaintop. Sometimes we spend a lot of time in between, some good days, some bad, but not these long seasons. But sometimes we have seasons in the valley, and we feel all alone. We probably feel a lot like Joseph did. I heard someone say, you're either coming out of a hard season, you're in a hard season, or hold on because a hard season's coming. I want to encourage us, when we are in a season that feels like we're in defeat, that disaster just is kind of all around us, I want to encourage us to walk in a way that we would still reflect Jesus. To understand that we just take it one moment, one day at a time. We're all gonna have seasons. And right now your season may feel like it's never gonna end. I want you to know you're not alone. You are not alone. When we look at these scriptures, I think it brings us to two practical questions of application. The first, how do I resist temptation? How do I resist temptation? Being tempted is not a sin. Being tempted is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. But one of the things we, I think we all know and understand, temptation's gonna come. Temptations may come before lunch. Temptation will come, and in our culture, it will continue to pull us towards falling into sin. The, the current towards sin is strong. You know, if you go to the beach and you go out and play in the water, if you're out in the water maybe waist deep, and you're out there for a little while, you're jumping the waves, and um, you're laughing, and you're getting salt water and stuff all in your eyes, and you're out there having fun. Uh, before you know it, you look up, and you're a long way from where your stuff is on the beach. And you see that current has just pulled you down the beach, and you didn't even know it. Like, how did I get here? How did I end up here? That's what sin will do. Sin will pull you in. One quote, uh, it's a famous, or it's a quote that I've heard a lot. Um, I can only find it attributed to Pastor Greg Laurie. I don't know if that's accurate or not. But it says, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. And so how do we live a life that honors God? How can we say like Joseph did here? He says, he says how could I do this immense evil? Uh, how could I sin against God? How do we resist temptation? Well, the first is we've got to have some guardrails in our life. Uh, we've been meeting with the junior, I've been meeting with the juniors and seniors on Sunday night from like the second week of January, it feels like, 
Um, and tonight we finished it up. But one of the things we talked about is that, you know, as you prepare for your next phase of life, how do you, you, you got to have guardrails. You got to have some things in your life that can set you up so that you won't fall into, that you won't sin. You've got to have guardrails. These things can prevent you from making some poor decisions. They can keep you from going to some places you don't need to be. They can keep you in your dating relationship in environments where you can um, be healthy, that you can produce spiritual fruit and not fall into sin. As adults, we need guardrails too. There are things where we know we're tempted to fall into sin, whether it's things that lead us down the road to a bad attitude, things to lead us towards gossip, things to, to make us uh, think things and watch things that we shouldn't watch. We've got to have guardrails in our life to help us to resist temptation. One of the best ways to resist temptation is put some strong walls up to keep those sinful things from coming into us. And there are times when you're tempted, when push comes to shove, you've just got to flee. You've just got to run. We find Joseph, he's being tempted day after day after day after day. He's resisting, he's resisting, he's resisting. You know, tempt resisting temptation isn't like a one-time battle. It's not like, whoo, never going to be tempted with that again. I made it. No, temptation's going to come. It's going to come. And it's all around us. And sometimes we just have to turn and run and remove ourselves from that temptation completely. I hope in your life that you'll spend some time praying and talking to God. You'll say, God, help me see sin the way Joseph sees sin. How can I, how could I sin against God? Like it is that significant in his heart. The second application, question of application is how do I respond when falsely accused? How do I respond when falsely accused? If you've ever been falsely accused of something, you know how heartbreaking that is. You know how uh, angry that can make you. You know how inside it can just kind of boil because you want to be justified. You, you want to bring clarity to the situation and you may or may not have control over that. And those false accusations can just begin to burn inside of you. And so what do you do? I think first, you've got to determine in your heart that you're going to seek first the kingdom of God. More than anything else, you're going to determine in your heart that you're going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's a lot easier said than done. You know, sometimes I preach things and, and you can take the note and you can write it down and I can have the notes in my, and, and go, okay, uh, oh, yeah, 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 and then real life, it's a, it's a whole lot easier said than done, but it doesn't matter if it's false accusations coming against you. Anything in your life we have to reach the place where we intentionally are cognizant of the fact that we need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I think the next thing you do when you're falsely accused is you gotta guard your tongue. Because I think it's real easy to begin communicating in ways that may be completely true but are completely unhelpful to the situation. You've got to guard your tongue. If you have a chance to calmly and clearly resolve, then you do it. 
When you can have conversation, you need to have conversation. You need to seek to understand and hear. But at all times, you should pray for reconciliation. If you're in a situation where you've been falsely accused, you should pray for reconciliation. Why? Because that's the gospel. Like that is the the gospel of Jesus. But they sinned against me. Yes, and we sinned against God. The gospel is he comes and forgives us of our sins by his grace. And so we need to pray for reconciliation. And I would encourage you, if you're in a fractured relationship because of this, that you spend time intentionally and ongoing, probably on your knees praying and say, God, I don't understand what to do. I don't know what to do. I need help. I need your guidance. I need need to hear from you on this situation. And you also pray as David prayed in in Psalms where it's recorded, where it says, search my heart. See if there's any wicked way inside of me. Because sometimes we can be blinded to something. We want to go before God, both praying for reconciliation and healing and saying, God, have I done anything to mess this thing up or made it even worse? And when we do those two things, it may, you may not have any control over restoring these relationships. But you do have control on whose kingdom you build. Yours or the kingdom of God. So when we look at this, these verses, we find Joseph at the end of these last three verses where he goes to jail. From the bottom of a pit last week, now to prison in a foreign country. We've got to be careful not to read this like a Sunday school lesson. And next week, I imagine Joseph was completely broken, devastated. And again, he was all alone, not seeing or understanding God's hand and what God was doing. And sometimes in life, we don't see what God is doing. We can pray for discernment. We can seek after God. And so what do we do? What do we do? How do we glorify God? And how do we overcome in one of these seasons? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The author of Hebrews says, he is the author. He is the one that is writing the story of your faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Last week, we shared, I shared this, abide with him. Stay connected with him. Don't walk alone. Don't walk alone. We all need a space. We need a place. We need a person where we can sit down and be completely real and be completely ourselves. Where you can have an honest conversation. Because I'm just guessing there's been a time in some of your lives where you were mad at God. You didn't understand everything. You were mad. 
and you really can't stand up on Sunday morning in between one of the songs and say, I've got something to say. <laughs> I just want to stand up and say today, I'm angry. And I'm angry with God. That's why you need a place. You need a person. Don't walk alone. Satan does his best work in isolation. That's why I tell teenagers, you don't need to be in the room in your dark scrolling Instagram. Satan's at work. He, he is doing his best at work to tell you lies, things where you don't amount, you don't measure up, you're not good enough. The same goes for us as adults. Satan does his best work when we are alone. Don't walk alone. I'd also say you may need to see a counselor. There is no shame in getting help. I've shared with you um, our season, my season after my pastor in Illinois that I worked for was shot and killed. The best thing I did, Franklin Graham's rapid response team, they're trained trauma counselors, they, they called on Sunday and said, can we come and help? We said, absolutely. We had no idea what we were doing. Come on. And the best thing I did was on Monday afternoon was I sat for about 30 or 45 minutes, an hour with the counselor. That was the best thing I did. And sometimes we think when we reach that place where, like, I should, if I should be able to figure this out on my own. Um, I, I should be able to do this. Or then we begin to think, okay, well, what's, what's really like? Sometimes we just need help. And the best thing we can do is to have someone help us sort out the pieces from a biblical perspective. I don't know what your season is. I don't know if you're in the middle of it. I don't know if it's way in the rearview mirror and you can say just like Joseph does, like Joseph did, I, I didn't understand it, I didn't get it, I didn't know how it was all gonna work out, but lots of people meant lots of things for evil. But God, you worked it for good and I praise you for it. Or if you're walking that season right now and you're feeling all alone and you have no answers, I want to encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Turn your eyes to Jesus. It may sound like a Sunday school answer, but I'll tell you at the hardest moments of my life, that's all I got is to fix my eyes on Jesus. Trust the promises of his word and walk one step at a time. Thanks for listening this week. If God is leading you to next steps in your relationship with him, please reach out to us at marshfieldfirst.org.